Well, it's our time to come to the study of the Word of God. And as I was thinking about this, what a privilege we have every week to be able to do this together. John's Gospel tells us that we God is to be worshipped in spirit and in truth. <clears throat> and we have sang to the Lord and worshipped Him in that way. We have given to the Lord and we have worshipped Him through our giving. We have prayed to the Lord and we have worshipped Him in that way as well. And now we have the privilege to worship Him in truth through the study of His Word. <clears throat> we find ourselves this morning back in the Gospel of Luke. If you're not there already, you can turn to there in your Bibles. Luke chapter 9, we are focusing our attention this morning on the first six verses of this chapter. Even though the narrative, if you were just reading through Luke, you notice as you read through this, the narrative of this goes all the way to the end of this chapter, all the way to verse 56, as the ministry of Jesus is taking place. But we're only going to deal with the first six verses. <clears throat> and since in our study of the Word of God, we don't get to pick and choose the truths that we like, we don't have a choice uh, to avoid truths that we don't particularly care for and those that might not strike a spiritual nerve in us. We don't get to just hang around our favorite passages in the Bible as we work through it. We just deal with God's Word as He brings it to us each week and we learn what God desires for us to learn. So that is what we are doing again this week. We are dealing with what comes next for us in the Word of God. We just finished chapter 8 as we have it in our Bibles. There were no chapter titles, obviously, when Luke first penned these words. But we are here in chapter 9. <clears throat> you may notice in your bulletin <clears throat> that I've entitled our message for today this way. Missions in the Trenches. Missions in the Trenches. I've entitled it that way simply because each one of us who is here today as believers in Jesus Christ needs to understand that as we interact with this text, as we interact with what God is saying here to us through, the, through Luke, we're going to see that Jesus is dealing with 12 disciples. 12 disciples. You notice them as the 12 who are called the apostles. And yet, there are implications here in this text that intersect with all of our lives as Christians, and therefore there are principles here that you and I can glean. Now understand this, that this is the transition time in the ministry of Jesus Christ. There is a, a change happening in the text. And so, what we have here, in a sense, is a picture of a short-term missions trip. We have done short-term missions trips in this church over the past years in my time here, and this here is, is somewhat of a picture of a short-term missions trip, but on top of that, or within that, it is also a picture of the divine reality of what makes up a gospel proclaimer. What makes up every Christian and what every Christian's task is as a Christian? We are genuine gospel proclaimers. That is what we all are commanded to be. And so I want us to see that this morning as we 
we unfold this text together. Let me just begin our time by reading for us these first six verses. Verse 1 begins, And He called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all the demons and to heal diseases. And He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to perform healing. And He said to them, Take nothing for your journey, neither a staff, nor a bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not even have two tunics apiece. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that city. And as far as those who do not receive you, as you go out from that city, shake the dust off of your feet as a testimony against them. And departing, they began going throughout the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now these verses highlight for us, as I alluded to already, a transition in the ministry of Jesus Christ. This is now approximately a year and a half into the ministry of Jesus Christ. So when you're reading through the Gospel of Luke, you get here to this chapter, you know in your own heart, in your own mind, by way of the narrative, that this is about halfway through the life of Jesus Christ as he he's going to die on the cross in just a few short months. And this is the first time that Christ will send the 12 out to do ministry work. He hasn't done this before. He hasn't sent anybody else out to do the work. This is the first time Jesus sends anybody out. In fact, up to this point, Jesus did all the ministry activity himself. He was the one who did all the teaching. If he was to speak a word in any kind of context, it was Jesus doing the teaching. He was the one who did all the miracles. Someone was to be healed from some kind of ailment in their life, some kind of disease. Jesus was the one who was doing it. If someone was to be raised from the dead, Jesus did it. He's the one who cast out demons. Each time the Jewish leaders or, or anyone else came to the, the group with some kind of question about why they were doing what they were doing, it was Jesus who was giving the answer. And so in many ways, Jesus himself was carrying on the ministry by himself. And now, approximately halfway through his earthly ministry, he is In this time in Galilee, as it's coming to a close, he is about to go down to Jerusalem. He's going to be arrested by the Jewish leaders, but the work in Galilee is not yet done. Many need to hear the gospel. There are many to be called to repentance. And so in order for that to be accomplished, Jesus enlists the efforts of those who are His own, those who are following Him. He says, go and preach the gospel. This is what their task is. This is why it says in verse 6, that's exactly what they did. They went out preaching the gospel. And for these disciples, that message, go and believe upon Jesus Christ, repent of your sins, all of this was authenticated through the power of signs and wonders. This is what was authenticating their message. So when Jesus says He had given them power and authority, this was the reason behind it. 
Now, there are a couple realities that we need to have clear in our mind or we can go astray in our thinking as we think about this in relationship to our own lives. We don't want to be like others in evangelicalism in our day and in the time even when Jesus was around who are deceived about signs and wonders. We don't want to be deceived about that. First of all, these men were what I like to call big A or capital A apostles. Capital A Apostles. In other words, they were a unique group. Sometimes you hear someone say today, hey, I'm an apostle. Well, well, there may be some reality and truth to that, and I'll share that in a moment. The reality is you're not an apostle like these ones. Right? In the, in the process of sending out what we see in these six verses of these men, what we see are gifts given to big A apostles, or capital A apostles, if you will. And that was an exclusive group that ended with that group. It does not continue today. But nonetheless, it's also a picture here of every gospel proclaimer and what missions in the trenches is like. And we'll see that as we go along. Let's not forget that the apostles are absolutely unique. You might say to yourself, well, I don't see the word apostle here in in Luke chapter 9. Well, that's true, but in the parallel passages in Matthew chapter 10, you certainly see that. There were 12 chosen disciples out of the group of what is known as the followers. There was a lot of followers of Jesus, but there were 12 chosen disciples And Judas, of course, killed himself as a traitor of Jesus Christ, and he was replaced as one of the twelve, the Bible tells us, by a man named Matthias. In fact, out of all the people who are following Jesus in Acts chapter 1, verses 15 to 26, Peter stands up and says, we need to replace Judas, who, who did that, and so pick someone who has been with us from the beginning, from the time of Jesus' baptism up to the time until Jesus ascended into heaven. So there were certain requirements, and there was only two guys out of the whole group brought forward, and one of them was Matthias, and he was the one. All of those were named apostles. And of course, we know of the Apostle Paul, the 13th, if you will, added sometime later as... Jesus meets the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9. And so the Apostle Paul also saw the risen Lord and as he ascended in, or as he was ascended into heaven and was called an apostle by Christ also. So they are an extremely unique group. No one here, no one in our lifetime, no one since these men have ever seen the risen Lord. Doesn't matter what someone says. Oh, I went back, went to heaven and came back and I saw her. No, you didn't. You didn't. You may think that in your mind, but you didn't because the Word of God would let us know that. It hasn't. Otherwise, that's special revelation. That's new revelation that only you got and therefore you have added to the Scriptures and the Bible says to add to that, the curses of the Scriptures are upon you, especially those of Revelation. So you cannot add or take away from the Scriptures. It is a closed canon that we have, and those who saw the risen Lord are the ones who were the apostles that Jesus chose, and those were the only those men. You cannot be one of those. So this is a unique group. 
There were only a certain number of them that can rightly be called apostles with a capital A. But when we look at this passage, we're not trying to say that we too can be apostles in the same way that they were. We're not saying that you and I can function. We, we cannot go away from this passage and go, oh, gee, since they got that, and I'm a Christian too, Jesus is living in me, I got this same power, I can function like a big A apostle. No, but at the same time, we can and must say that we must preach the same message that they preach. We have the same command that God has given us. And I believe we can glean much from this picture here we have from these men and allow that then to resonate in our own personal ministry. So out of an act of grace, Jesus Christ in His own earthly ministry is expanding His ministry here in Galilee through these men. Now remember also by this time, Galilee, the region to the north, has already become really very close-minded to the message of Christ. Certainly there are people enamored with what is going on, but they're really close to the message. They had really aren't foolish enough to deny all of the miracles that Jesus is doing. In fact, they really couldn't do that. He had done so many miracles in the area that they really couldn't rationally deny those. But it's obvious to all that He was the one who cast out demons He was the one who healed all kinds of diseases. It's obvious to them that He is the one, as we just saw in Luke chapter 8, that raises the dead. Jairus' daughter was brought back to life. Her Her spirit returned to her upon the command of Jesus Christ. So they they weren't closed to all of that, to the power of God operating in that way. But what they were closed-minded about and what they hated so much about Jesus and His message was that when He taught, He exposed them as self-righteous sinners. That's what they hated. What they were closed to was the fact that He told them that they were under the condemnation of God. They thought they were okay. They thought they were good people. They thought their life was pretty good. Hey, I'm a pretty good person. I do okay. I'm not like the other guy. And yet here comes a man, at least in their mind, here comes one telling them that they're a condemned sinner before God and they have to face that reality. They didn't like that. And that kind of news for the unwilling self-righteous person just hardens their heart more. They're unwilling to see it and turn from it. It just makes them more hard. And so most of Galilee was completely closed-minded to the message of Jesus Christ, the message of repentance. You say, how do you know that? Well, just go to John chapter 6 in your own study sometime and read John chapter 6 after he feeds the 5,000. By the way, which happens just a few short verses from this time. Luke doesn't record it, but in John chapter 6, they chase Jesus down across the Sea of Galilee after He feeds these people. And the next morning He says, why are you coming after Me? You're after the wrong thing. You think I'm here just to make you breakfast. I'm not here for that. I'm here, you're after, you need the bread of life. And all the people leave. They turn around and walk away so that Jesus is left there with the twelve and He says to them, are you going to leave Me too? And of course, Peter's words are transforming. Where are we going to go? You have the words of life. 
So this time in the ministry of Jesus Christ is urgent because in just a short while, Jesus is going to be in Jerusalem and all of the people at the encouragement of the Jewish leadership are are going to shout out for Jesus' death. So the time of ministry is now. For these 12, class time is over. You've had your instruction. It's over. It's time for you to go out on your first short-term missions trip. So this is a very, very important transition in the ministry of Jesus Christ. And I I don't want us to be thinking this morning that as we look at this, this really doesn't have anything to do with me because I'm not an apostle. Well, that's true. They're the apostles. We're not the apostles. But at the same time, these guys are just regular people like us. They're they're not apostles because they're something special. They're not special in and of themselves. And because of that, Jesus grants them this apostleship. No, they're regular guys just like us. But they were willing to follow Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ uses them to change the world. And I want us to understand that Jesus Christ uses us the same way. He uses us through the power of the gospel to change the world. He uses all who are willing and desiring to follow Mm -hmm. Him. And so while we are not capital A apostles, and while we are not empowered like they were, and all that had a purpose, and I'll share that in a moment, but we are gospel proclaimers as they were. Why? Because all those who are saved are apostles with a little a. We're little a apostles. We may not be capital A apostles in the sense that we saw the risen Lord like these men did, but we are little a apostles because that's what an apostle is, a messenger. A messenger. And that's what we are. We have been saved by grace through faith, given the Holy Spirit that we might follow Jesus Christ and be a messenger of the gospel. And so at this, uh, that's the first point that I want to make here that needs to be highlighted for us this morning. The task of gospel proclamation, we have to understand, the task of gospel proclamation is a divine mission. It is a divine mission. There are no gospel proclaimers who have not come to know Jesus Christ. Notice what it says in chapter 9, verse 1. And He called the twelve together. I, I think that's significant in light of the fact that it's, it's not just a proximity reality. Hey, here's these twelve guys. Let me, let me gather the group together. But I think there's more to it there than that. I think this is a significant distinction that needs to be made. These men were disciples of Jesus Christ. They, before they were ever called as apostles, messengers. In other words, they followed Jesus. They were learners before they were messengers. That's the idea. Disciple is just that, a learner. A learner. They were disciples. Now they are messengers. I hope we understand the implication of that. Disciple is that original language word that simply means learner. Mathetes. That's that's the word learner. They had spent nearly a year and a half learning from Jesus. 
They had believed upon Jesus. They had followed Jesus when he called them. Now they, they were in the school of Jesus, if you will. They're learning from Jesus. They had watched him do ministry. They had heard him teach. They had been taught truth by him so that they were gaining understanding of the truth. And now they're being sent out as apostolos or messengers of Christ. This is what an apostle, big A or little a, this is what it is primarily. Messengers of Christ. This is what they are. In fact, I would argue and say this is the reason you and I know Jesus Christ, because the apostles, big A apostles, did exactly what God had commanded them to do. And then every little a apostle from that time has done that as well, so that we hear the gospel. And so this is implicational for us. When we study the Word of God, we look at the truths of God, we must think that way. We must think, okay, what are the implications of this for my life? And this is implicational for us. Because each Christian, each one of us who knows Jesus Christ as his Savior, must first be a learner before we are a messenger. Before anyone is sent by Christ with the message of Christ, we must first be a disciple of Christ. That is simply to say, beloved, that this was a divine sending. Each one of us who is a Christian has been called by Christ into gospel ministry, and it is a divine sending that He sends us. We are messengers of Jesus Christ. Jesus prepares them for ministry. In fact, just turn for a moment over to Matthew, just for a second. Matthew chapter 10. I I alluded to it earlier, but I think it's interesting how Matthew writes it here because we we get both realities being seen here in the in the wording, in the phraseology that Matthew uses in Matthew chapter 10. Jesus summoned His 12 disciples, that's mathetes, that's learners. He summons the 12 learners and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Now notice, now the names of the 12 apostles. So this is the same guys. These are the 12 guys who were learners and now they are messengers. Names of the 12 apostles are those. And of course, you can read the 12 names. So right there in Matthew's Gospel, you get this reality of who they are by use of both terminology terms in the same context. They are learners and messengers, and each and every one of us who are called by God into His kingdom by His divine power through faith in Jesus Christ are new disciples of Christ, and we are learners. We are learners. We come into the faith and we are learning the things of Christ. It isn't as if we can't share how God has saved us. John chapter 9 is clear on that. Even the demoniac in Luke chapter 8 is clear on that. Go and tell them all that God has done for you. There's a testimony in our life about how God has saved us from from our own destruction, from our own sinfulness, and brought us into this new life. We can tell people about that. We are 
learning what God is all about and who God is and all that He does. And God, through His truth, is preparing us to go out. And we go out. And sometimes we go out daily on short-term missions trips as messengers of Christ. We share it with people. We ought to be. They're little a apostles. But no one can be a messenger before they are first a disciple. There are no people out there sharing the truth of God who do not know first Jesus Christ by faith. Each and every one of us who are called by God into His kingdom are learners first, messengers as we learn. And the greater the mission, the greater the process of discipleship. Jesus Christ calls His disciples and He makes messengers. That's the way it works. You want to have a greater capacity for doing the Lord's work than actively be in the discipleship process. Want to know what God says? He means by what He says. Study the Bible yourself and be around those who are studying the Bible themselves and be around those who are more mature in the faith that can teach you and be in that discipleship process so that you have a greater capacity as a messenger of Jesus Christ. So the first part of this picture of being a gospel proclaimer is the divine mission. Divine mission. It's a divine mission. And all who are in Christ are in that process. All of us who know Jesus Christ, you cannot escape it. You cannot say, well, I just don't know what to say. Really? You have an entire book. You just go to the book. Tell them what the book says. But I can't answer all their questions. You don't have to. Just tell them what the book says. So it's a divine mission. Secondly, secondly, it's divine equipping. Divine equipping. Verse 9 says here, and He, that is Jesus, gave them power and authority over all demons and to heal diseases. I wonder what they must have been thinking when Jesus was giving them that. I don't know what he said. The text doesn't record to us, hey, listen guys, I'm going to give you this power over all the demons. Certainly they must have known that. They certainly knew they had power over the diseases because it's exactly what they went out to do, verse 6 tells us, to preach the gospel and healing everywhere. So they were certainly carrying that out. This was a divine equipping. In other words, God's the one who equips. And I want to spend some time on this because we have to not go away this morning with the idea that we are equipped like they were equipped. Not that we have less in the sense of less of the Spirit of God in us that God can do whatever God wants to do, but God isn't going to do with us what He has done with them and there's a reason for that. It's obviously remarkable power, isn't it? They were given power, God's power. In fact, it's power that you and I cannot even understand. We have a lot of things that are powerful in our world that shock us. 
But it's power here that we cannot even understand. It's power that only Jesus had. And here Jesus delegates it to these 12. And a little later, actually, in Luke chapter 10, he gives it to 70 others who he sends out. But only for a time. It wasn't like, here, this is yours, keep it, it's good for a lifetime. No. So this is remarkable power. And the point is this, Jesus wouldn't send these men out on this kind of short-term missions trip with the right message unless there was a way to prove the validity of their message. Let me say that again. Jesus does not send people out to tell others about Jesus Christ without being able to authenticate the message with authority. This is what it says. You say, well, how do you know that? Because, listen, the Scriptures weren't complete yet. They needed something to attest to the validity and the power of their message because they didn't have, no one was carrying a Bible under their arm. Right? There wasn't a New Testament yet. There wasn't something to measure the message or the messenger by. There wasn't a, a yardstick, if you will, a spiritual yardstick that you can go, okay, here's what he's saying. Here's how I measured that. The people were, were hearing the message and they're going, yeah, why should we believe you? Why should we do what you're saying? So he gave them authority and power to do what he was doing. To do miraculous signs and wonders. In fact, verse 2 says, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to perform healing. This is why. This is why it was given to them. He equipped them with that kind of authority. He equipped them with the authority to say, be gone to the demons. Over all the demons. Not just a, a sect of demons. Over all the demons. Why? Because in our day, if someone stands up and brings some kind of message, some kind of claim to be an of God message, to say, oh, this is what God's saying, someone stands up like that, you and I can tell whether they're telling the truth or not. How? By the Bible. We hold up the authority of God. This is what God says. You can say that, you can, you can claim those things, but it's contrary to the Bible. That's how I know whether you're authentic or not. Someone says, well, I believe upon Jesus Christ. I'm a, I'm a saved person. Really? Does your life show it? I'm not here judging you. People say, you can't judge me, like Matthew 7, 1 says, right? Don't judge. I'm not here judging you. The Scriptures are judging you. Does your life show that you're saved? What about your life convinces us that you actually know Jesus Christ? Are the fruit of the Spirit effective in your life? Are you outflow of your life? You can't just say words. Well, Jesus isn't going to send his apostles out to preach the gospel, just say words, and people go, yeah, whatever. They need something to authenticate that, and the miraculous signs and wonders do just that. We don't need that. We have a standard for all of life and godliness. We have the Bible. 
We have the scriptures. We have the word of God in our hands. We don't need to attest to the truth of the message with a miracle. We don't need to say, oh yeah, well, guess what? If I'll do this and then you'll believe. No, we simply just go to the scriptures. It's the final standard for all truth. It is the authority. But in those days, there wasn't any of that available to the people. Oh, sure, you could go to the synagogue maybe and hear the words of a few scrolls that they had in the Old Testament, but there was nothing other than that. No one had in their hands the standard by which they would say, oh, you're true, you're not true. No message that could be evaluated by that. So in order to provide validation beyond measure, beyond question, these men, I believe, were given this power. They were given power. I think that's why it comes before authority. Right? It's the very same power and authority that Jesus himself possessed. It's the very same thing on display in all of Jesus' miracles. Jesus said something and it, Jesus performs miracles. No one, could, no one could deny that. He just delegates it to them now in order for their message of repentance to be validated. So this was his ministry and he gave it to them. He delegates it to them. This, they had his, in the original language, they had his exousia, his power, or, or I mean his authority. That's the, that's the word authority. Exousia. They had his dunamis. That's, that's ability. Don't, don't confuse yourself with that word meaning dynamite. They wouldn't have had any idea what dynamite was back in the ancient time. It's ability. They had his Ability, they had his authority. That's what he gave them. It's one thing to give someone a position of authority. It'd be nice. Someone, they said, well, he gave, Jesus gave him his authority. Well, it's nice to have the position of authority, but if he doesn't give them the power to carry out that authority, it's meaningless. And so Jesus does both. He gives them the power to carry out what authority he gives them. So they had authority, they had ability. They had the official right to say what they had to say, and they also had the power to validate it. It would be one thing for them to go up to a person and say, oh, you have a demon in you? Be gone. And the demon goes, yeah, whatever. They don't have the option to say that. They have to do it. The authority of God speaks. The demon has to do what he's told to do. So they had the right to exercise power over disease. They had the right to tell demons to leave the possessed. And Matthew chapter 10, verse 8, even goes farther and says they had the power to raise the dead. They had all the power that Jesus gave them. No one today has that kind of power. I don't care what they claim. If they have any kind of power that's supernatural like that in any kind of way, guess what? It's demonic power, and it's being allowed there only to potentially deceive people. But you and I, we don't need that kind of power. Why? We have the written Word of God. You want the power of God? Proclaim His Word. Just tell them what God says. You can speak His message. And it's authenticated and validated by His Word. People say, why should I believe that? Because God said it. Because God said it. Well, man says, well, man wrote that book. Yeah, well, don't suppress the truth in unrighteousness. That's what Romans 1 says the simple hearts does. That's all you're doing is just suppressing the truth. You know the truth. God put it in you to understand there is a God. You know that God is, and you just want to suppress that. 
So being a gospel proclaimer is a divine mission with divine equipping. Third, third, it comes with a divine provision. A divine provision. Notice what he says in verses 3 through 5. Take nothing for your journey. Don't take a staff, nor a bag, nor bread, nor money, not even two tunics apiece. Wherever house you enter, stay there until you leave that city. And as far as those who do not receive you, as you go out from that city, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So this this is the third part of the short-term mission endeavor here. It's an understanding that God is the provider of all things. It's a divine provision. In other words, don't use your gifts. I think really what's going on here is Jesus is saying to them and showing to them, listen, don't use the gifts that I'm giving you, this authority and power. Don't use it for personal gain. This is not for you. It's not about you. Don't use your ministry as a means for your own self puffing up. Rather, just trust me. Just go, do what I say, and trust me. Don't try to adjust it. Don't try to change it in some kind of way. Don't try to add to it. Just do what I say. Now you have to put yourself in their sandals in, in a kind of way. Remember, this is their internship training. Right? They need to learn in the process of ministry to trust Christ for everything. And not use this newfound authority and power and gifting as a means for themselves. And so I believe he's saying to them, don't take anything with you and don't accept anything. You don't need that. I'm taking care of you. Don't take any money. Don't charge anyone for your work. I think this is important. Why? Because because think about it. The people that they were going to go preach to, people they were going to go and share the gospel news with are suffering from all kinds of things in their life. Most of these people probably would have given anything just to have a chance to have a family member that they were concerned about or a spouse that they were concerned about in some physical ailment or a child that had some demon possession in them. They would have have given anything for that to be helped in their life. And what would you give to be done away with a a life-threatening, debilitating disease? What would you give? If someone could actually take care of it by what you give, what what would it be? You go to someone and they say, listen, I'll take care of that problem. What's it worth to you? You'd start calculating and going, man, what, what can I do? With that kind of power, they would have had a boatload of money in their pockets had they used it to their advantage. You see that today, don't you? That today, just turn on the charlatans on TV sometimes. Right? False teachers who promise all kinds of things, take advantage of the desperate, take advantage of the needy, becoming very worldly rich, even though they can't actually do anything. And so Jesus is saying to them, listen, don't use your gifts. Don't take advantage of the downtrodden to enrich yourself. That's what the false teachers do. You're probably saying to yourself, okay, well, that's all good, but you said, I don't have those kind of gifts. I don't have that kind of power. So what's the big deal? You don't have to concern myself with that, right? Weren't these guys unique? Yes, 
Yes, they were. But here's the principle. Never put a price, never put a price on any kind of your message that you offer. Never put a price on that. You were given it freely, you offer it freely. Never put a price on the trust you bring. Maybe that's a better way to say it. Never put a price on the trust you bring. Being trusted was unique, but not unique just to them. Each one of us who have been saved, who know Jesus Christ, have been entrusted with the gospel of truth. And we are called to freely give it out and trust God with His provision. So never sell the truth that we have been freely given. Jesus is simply saying to them, look, trust me, don't be tempted to put a price on this life-saving truth. Right? Don't take bread, don't take a bag, don't take money. Just trust me, all your needs are going to be met. Now I know what somebody's going to do. Somebody's going to come up to me right after I, I get done preaching and say, okay, wait, Pastor, I caught you in a trap. Because Luke 22 says that they are to take those things along. Why the difference? Why the difference? Because it's all about trusting Him. The implication is that no matter the circumstance, whether it's abundance or lack, don't trust in your abundance and don't try to take advantage because you lack. It's the same message. They were still to trust Christ with it all. And see, that's the lesson. Trust Christ. And interestingly enough, verse 5 says, Jesus says, don't waste your time on those who refuse to listen. As far as those who do not receive you, as you go out from that city, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. You go there, you go there with the truth, you're not offering it cost, you're, you're just trusting the Lord, and they don't want to receive you, they don't want to do and care for you as you are called to, as I've promised to be caring for you, then listen, just leave that place, dust off your feet. I mean, we get in our little heart and mind and go, man, that's pretty strong, isn't it? Just say, okay, see ya, I'm out. In fact, in Matthew's account, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 15, here's what it says. Jesus says this, it would be better in the day of judgment for Sodom and Gomorrah than for that city. Well, that's even more stark, isn't it? We all know what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah in the Old Testament because they rejected God and lived a, a, a sensual life with all kinds of debauchery. In other words, rejection of the gospel is a serious thing to God. God brings the truth to you and you reject it. That's serious. So much so, in fact, that he considers those who have been wiped off the face of the earth by his judgment in better condition than the one who rejects the gospel. Listen, offer the gospel freely. Offer it freely to all who want to hear you. But if they reject it, then there's a place for letting them be. Symbolically brushing the dust off your feet. 
You leave them alone when they've heard. They understand and they reject. They're under the judgment of God. You say, well, gosh, does that mean they're unsavable? I don't know. I don't know. Only God knows. Share the gospel. The most precious thing that we have is the gospel. Those who treat it with disdain, God judges. There is no middle ground. There is no, well, we thought kindly of those people at one time. No. It's either you believe in Jesus Christ or you don't. There's only two options. So it's a divine mission, divine equipping. There's a divine provision. And then lastly, it produces divine results. Verse 6, departing, they began going throughout the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. I love that. Ministries happen. People were disciples. They're messengers of Christ. They're going out and doing what God said. And things are happening. God is making things happen. Sometimes it's people are getting saved. Other times people are under the judgment of God. Ministry is happening and the gospel is going out and results are taking place. And it had nothing to do with them personally. It was all divine. Some positive. Some are believing. The effect is having its impact. If we were to read further in chapter 9 here, verse 7 and following, we'll cover it next week. But Herod the Tetrarch heard about what's going on. All these people, there's, there's... All things happen. There's a big stir going on. They're wondering what's happening. And they're wondering if John rose from the dead. Maybe this is Elijah who's appeared. Prophets have risen again. Herod knows he's beheaded John the Baptist. He's wondering what's going on. Ministry didn't stop with that. As the day was ending, verse 12 says, the 12 came and said, look, send the crowds away. Right? We've been doing this all day. I mean, send them away. Let them go get something to eat. And Jesus says, you feed them. Of course, we know, we know that story. The results are happening. Jesus had equipped them and they're willing in their own trust in Him and they're following in His steps. This is an amazing thing happening in the ministry of Jesus Christ. And here we are this morning, 2,000 plus years later. Here we are. Part of the fruit of their ministry and we have the command of God on us. The Great Commission, right? Matthew 28, we've heard it. It was Jesus speaking to them, and yet the implications are for everyone who believes. We have the responsibility to go into all the world and to preach the gospel just like they did. Because we know that it's the gospel that's the power of God and the salvation for all who believe. Right? So we too must call all sinners to repent. We must call them to believe in Jesus Christ or spend an eternity in the clutches of God's judgment. That's what we do. We don't need signs. We don't need wonders. Why? Because we have the Word of God. And His Word never returns void. It never doesn't accomplish what it sets out to accomplish. And so we preach it. We teach it. We proclaim it unashamedly, unapologetically, 
We just say this is what the word of God says. And God, through his grace, saves those who are his. That's what we do. That's our job. That's our task. Little a apostles. Well, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for our time this morning. Just this brief look, really, at miraculous events taking place in ministry as you were walking on the face of the earth. We know this morning, if we hadn't known before, we know that that we have been called by you into your family. You have provided for us in every way, empowered us by your spirit to do what you have called us to do. And we want to be faithful to that. We know the results are in your hand. We know that you accomplish what you accomplish for your glory. And so use us to that end. May we be faithful to that in our life, knowing that we don't need to be equipped with that kind of miraculous power. Lord, help us in our lives never say to ourselves and, and certainly never convince ourselves that if we had this, then others would get saved. Listen, we have... We have your word. Your word will accomplish all that it needs to. So help us be faithful to preach it, teach it, reflect the life-changing reality of it in our life as we live for you. So you might be glorified. Others might see Christ in us. And by your grace and mercy, you save them also. Well, thank you for all eternity and glory with our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.